Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we're going to be talking about the Sahel, stretching from Senegal to Chad, this region at the edge of Africa has become an obsession in many European countries. It's widely seen as a major source of of instability and terrorism, but most recently has become one of the key topics in the migration crisis, which European countries have been responding to since 2015. As many of these countries have become key transit countries for migration from sub-Saharan Africa. towards the European continent. To help us make sense of what Europe is trying to do in the Sahel, why it is rising up the European agenda, and what the stakes are for different European countries in both security and migration terms, I have an all-star cast. Um, Andrew Lebovich um, is a visiting fellow at ECFR. He has recently written a new study for us called Halting Ambition, EU Migration and Security Policy in the Sahel. And also down the line from Paris, we have Shoshana Fine, who is the migration coordinator um, at ECFR. And um, I think I'm going to start by asking you, Andrew, to tell us um, why the Sahel matters and um, why Europeans have been focusing so much energy on it. Well, thanks, Mark, and thanks for for having me on this. Uh, The Sahel is very important for Europe for a couple of reasons, Um, one of which is that with the the security crisis that grew in the region with the occupation of northern Mali, um, so first the Tuareg rebellion in 2012 and then the jihadist occupation in the north, there was a huge amount of concern for the stability of the region and a region that was seen and was often framed both in Europe and by local leaders as sort of being uh, Europe's backyard or being a potential entry point for insecurity into the Mediterranean and then into Europe. And then with the migration crisis in 2015, uh, this European focus on the Sahel really accelerated, particularly given the huge numbers of migrants that were passing through northern Niger every single week. Uh, And then beyond that, it's grown into uh, a focal point for EU foreign policy in part because uh, I think the EU as an institution and the European External Action Service uh, and Federico Mogherini have seen the Sahel as a place where the EU can can develop and can uh, really put into practice this integrated approach bridging security and uh, development as they describe it. And so it, in that sense, the EU has also become, or the EU, the Sahel has become uh, a kind of laboratory, as I note in the paper, for EU policies, for uh, common security and, and defense program missions, uh, and also for this uh, this integrated approach. So it really has become, I think it's fair to say, one of the main areas of focus for the EU, and, and certainly one of the areas where the EU sees itself in the lead on uh, on foreign policy and on implementing uh, coordination, uh, security reform, and migration policy. These are mainly five countries that we're talking about, Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, Mauritania, Niger. 
they are countries which uh, mainly speak French, have traditionally been part of a, a kind of French sphere of influence. And, and French have been talking about the Sahel for a long time. But can you maybe explain a bit more why um, uh, other countries like Germany um, have started to, to kind of engage with it more? I was in Berlin uh, earlier in the week and uh, an official in the foreign ministry there said that he thought that... Um, the Sahel um, is no longer just part of a sort of post-colonial Franc-Afrique, but is now a, a pan-European problem. Why is that? Well, this is this has been happening to some extent actually since the '90s, and Mali is a kind of uh, poster child because in the in the '90s, after a after another Tuareg rebellion, many and the transition to democracy, many European countries saw Mali as. Uh, this kind of new nascent democracy uh, and a site for development aid and decentralization and governance assistance. So a lot of things that uh, that other European countries wanted to do and also that the U.S. was interested in to some extent, uh, particularly with development aid. Um, so now it's as the, the problems in the region have grown deeper, uh, some of the the impetus for European countries has uh, has evolved certainly, but the reasons to stay interested are still there. As I said, now that now particularly because of the migration crisis, but also the security crisis in the region, um, every European country or many European countries in some ways see their own their own reasons to intervene either directly or indirectly. Or their own angle that they can that they can push, or an area that they can take uh, primacy on. So during the the G5 conference in February, for instance, uh, Germany uh, and the Netherlands uh, helped organize a, a side meeting on human rights, for instance, in the G5, and for the German government in particular, uh, governance questions. Um, and trying to make sure that security cooperation doesn't overshadow good governance and human rights has been a major concern. So that's been that's been one of their main interests. But this has been uh, sort of a growing subject across the region and even for the UK, looking for a post-Brexit foreign policy. Um, one of the regions of the world that they've hit on is the Sahel for having uh, an impact for their foreign policy in cooperation with, but also outside of the EU. And so so a number of different countries are really looking at their own ways of intervening, both within the EU structure and also individually. And this is one of, this is actually one of the problems that I talk about in the paper, um, that there's sometimes uh, a discord between what the EU is supposed to be doing as an institution, what the EAS wants to be doing, and then what individual member state policies are. And then, of course, uh, the U.S. is also involved, but operating really on its own terms and off to the side. So it'd be interesting to, to talk a bit more about the, the security elements of it later on. But maybe before we do that, we can go into this idea of the Sahel as a as a hub for migration to, to Europe. Um, Shoshana, do you want to give us a sense of how many people are, are going through the yeah. region, how, where they're coming from, and what kind of challenges that creates for the European Union. Yeah, and I just want to bring it back a bit to the previous question you asked and think, you know, why are the kind of countries like Germany, you know, suddenly, you know, quite interested in this region? And, you know, I think that migration is so key. You know, if we take the German context, you know, Merkel was hugely criticised 
um, for hosting this one million Syrian refugees. And since then, you know, she's having a really tough time. So she's had to kind of show uh, her audiences, the German public, that she takes a tough stance on migration. And so she's kind of pushed on these migration goggles on all sorts of German foreign policy. Um, and so this has really kind of extended Germany's reach, uh, uh, you know, across Africa, you know, creating new deals with, you know, within and beyond the Sahel. You know, she was heavily criticised for agreements with Sudan, uh, you know, a country uh, whose leadership have been criticised for all kinds of uh, human rights violations. Um, so I think, you know, this kind of migration obsession, you know, very much explains uh, the interests of these new countries uh, in the region. Now, I think it's fair to say uh, that, you know, this kind of the all of these policies, there has been an increase in European money in this region. But, you know, this has also been going on for some time. So the European externalization approach uh, to migration really was kicked off in the 2000s, but it's obviously received much more attention uh, since uh, 2015 and the refugee crisis. Uh, so what we can see with this is that Europe is really trying to push its borders you know, further and further away. So now you can almost, so to speak, meet the European border in the Sahel. Um, now, of course, you know, what we've seen is it's very difficult for European uh, states to actually reduce migration. But simply what we have seen is that migration flows are taking along different routes each time. And actually, interestingly, what we can see today is that it's the West Mediterranean route, which is, you know, the main route for migration. And, and here, you know, the key nationalities, so we've got 30,000 arrivals along the West Mediterranean route. So from um, into Spain, and we've got, you know, migrants from Mali, Guinea, Ivory Coast and Morocco. So when you say that the EU is trying to push its borders there, what you mean is to do deals with local governments so that they hold people in refugee camps in, uh, along their borders and will try and return them to their countries of origin rather than allowing them to come through to, to, to European countries? I mean, externalization is a very complex process. So on the one hand, it includes, for instance, political agreements uh, like the one that we saw between the EU and Turkey, uh, which has blocked Syrian refugees in Turkey. But externalization also takes, you know, forms through development aid or humanitarian assistance. Uh, so, you know, we can increasingly see European money going into the Sahel, uh, you know, as so-called development, but actually we're looking at, you know, counter smuggling practices. Uh, we're looking at, you know, money used to target the drivers of migration. Uh, so these, you know, various projects, some can be classed as humanitarian, others security, others as, as development, they all feed into externalization and this kind of pushing the European border outwards with the aim of containing migrants away from European states. So it's been quite effective in Libya, that approach. Um, how effective has it been in, uh, in the Sahel? But I mean, we really have to think about the question, you know, what do we mean by effective? Because, you know, the EU has been hugely criticised about cooperating with Libyan authorities. Migrants are being de detained in unhumane conditions, you know, with multiple human rights violations with a country that absolutely does not respect the Geneva Convention. And yes, migrant arrivals have decreased along the central Mediterranean route. But as the UNHCR um, has noted 
the probability of migrants dying along this route has actually increased. So, you know, about four years ago, before uh, the EU pumped all of this money into blocking migrants on this route, the risk of a migrant dying was about one in a thousand and then 26 in a thousand today. Uh, so, you know, we can see that, you know, an, a, a consequence of uh, European migration management has actually meant, yes, it has blocked to some extent arrivals, but now we can see an increase in the probability of migrants dying. Um, that has their number of people dying gone up? It's presumably it's gone down. It's just that their numbers it, have gone down a lot. It has gone down, but relatively speaking, it's gone down because the overall number of, of arrivals has gone down. But the, num the probability of dying has gone up. And of course, this doesn't take but into surely account... surely their meaningful figure is how many people are dying. If less people are dying, then that has to be a well, good I don't, thing. I think that's wrong, actually, because if we look at this externalisation approach, what we're doing is we're pushing the border further and further outwards. And what we've actually also noticed, but we don't have such precise figures, is that there has been an increase of deaths uh, in Africa. So, for instance, migrants have been forced to take on increasingly dangerous routes, right? Because European money has kind of been pumped into blocking uh, the more classic routes. Uh, so we are feeding a smuggling industry. Migrants are risking their lives more and more. And there have been more and more deaths, for instance, in deserts across Africa. So, you know, here we're only calculating the deaths in the Mediterranean. But of course, you know, the deaths aren't only taking place in the Mediterranean, but because of externalization, they're also increasingly going out into Africa. So, so in Niger, uh, the process that Shoshana is talking about has taken a couple of concrete forms that are both formalized and less formal. Um, so on the formal side of things, uh, the Nigerian government has enforced a 2015 law uh, meant to cut down on migrant smuggling. And this is a law that was passed uh, before the Valletta summit in 2015, but really entered into force after Valletta. And so what it's involved is on the one hand, EU support for the Nigerian security forces under the, the UCAP Sahel Niger program, uh, which has a budget of about 30 million euro right now, uh, meant to provide, uh, provide capacity building, technical assistant, uh, assistance, particularly to the police, but also uh, some border security forces. And so what followed that was a, a fairly significant crackdown on smuggling. Uh, so, on the one hand, the arrest of, I think, eight gendarmes uh, for taking bribes related to smuggling, but also impounding more than 200 trucks right now, so four-by-fours that were used to, uh, to transport migrants into Libya, uh, and the suppression, the sort of direct suppression through shutting down the routes that were, that were active of the migrant trade into Libya. And then the direct impact of that has been, uh, on the one hand, the displacement of migrant routes away from the sort of main routes that were known before, because before this, uh, the trade was fairly well controlled and it was actually fairly well regulated. Uh, smugglers took routes that were known. There were checkpoints of Nigerian security forces that were known. You would pay more or less standard bribes on your way north. And so it wasn't, it wasn't fully safe and it wasn't fully secure, um, but it meant that it was a fairly regulated trade. What's happened now is that with this crackdown, a number of people have lost access to their livelihoods. And if you are, uh, if you're a transporter, whether of people or of goods, and you lose your 4x4, that's, it makes it impossible to actually work. Um, and so then the only people who've been willing to take on uh, 
migrants have been people who are much more embedded in criminal economies, people who are willing to take the risk of running into security services, whether it's the Nigerian security services, whether it's uh, militias operating near the border with Libya, or for routes going to Algeria, the Algerian security services. So this has all become much riskier, but that's on the formal side. The informal side is that uh, there are credible accusations that France and also Italy in particular have paid uh, armed groups in northern Chad, in southern Libya, and in northern Niger to directly uh, either stop smuggling migrants or to try to uh, prevent migrants from going into Libya. Uh, so this has also been the case in Libya where Italy, for instance, uh, directly had a policy of paying militias to stop trafficking migrants and to try to suppress the trade. Uh, so this is, this is not within the formal structure of the EU, but it has been the, one of the direct results of this externalization process. So again, trying to enforce more or less as hard a border as you can in southern Libya. And so the, the southern Libyan region, which is known as the Fezan, uh, it's become quite common to talk about how the borders of the EU start in the Fezan because of this process. And does it create perverse incentives? I mean, a lot of people studied the EU-Turkey deal. They saw how much money Turkey had been promised um, for uh, closing its borders and stopping people from from travelling back to Europe and, and for taking returns um, and have been wondering why they don't get as much money. I mean, how much of the Niger economy um, is made up of EU aid and is there a kind of ambition to grow that? Um, uh, as Niger becomes transit central? Well, so that, this is where it's interesting because Niger is becoming less transit central than it was even a year or two ago. Um, so be, as the numbers have gone down, uh, its impact in Niger has been reduced. So certainly there are still a significant number of migrants uh, going through Niger, but this has helped increase direct EU and member state support for the Nigerian government. And so the EU is paying uh, something around 40% of Niger's budget directly. And that's in addition to other uh, sometimes bilateral assistance or other forms of assistance going to the government. So that's, that's on top of uh, development aid in the region. It's on top of security assistance. That's just direct budgetary support. And so for Niger, this has been a quite significant thing. And the Nigerian government has taken the lead on uh, on security policy or implementing security policy in the region. So uh, the, the current head and the former head of the G5 Sahel uh, are both from Niger, even though the military command right now is headed by a Mauritanian general. Um, but Niger has been really on the forefront of cultivating European support and trying to balance European support and the demands of Europe with the need to also maintain a kind of release valve um, for this economic pressure and social pressure and political pressure in Niger. What we can see there then from these EU projects is that, you know, migration across the Sahel has now become criminalised, you know, much like, you know, we've got the security uh, look perspective on migration in Europe and now this is something that the EU has brought to the Sahel and this is very problematic because 
intra-regional migration is very important uh, for economies. You know, there are specific econo economic hubs in the Sahel that, you know, really rely on intra-regional migration. And so, you know, what we can see is some counterproductive policies uh, from the European Union, because on the one hand, we're building up borders to, in the short term, stop migrants from being able to reach Europe. But, you know, what we're doing in the long term, these are going against development objectives because, you know, these are going against um, economic prosperity, putting migrants in increasingly difficult conditions, in which case there'll probably be more of a push towards Europe. And there's, there's also an issue of international law here or, or regional law, which is that uh, the economic community of West African states allows uh, citizens of member states to travel freely and without visas within the, the ECOWAS borders. This includes in Niger, up to the borders with Libya, to the borders with Chad in the east, and to the borders with Algeria. So when the EU is either directly involved or encouraging, say, Nigerian authorities to stop the movement of ECOWAS citizens, uh, say, north of Agadez uh, in, in central Niger, that is also a direct violation of, of regional law, uh, which is another concern. And what we can see, you know, in this region is, you know, these European policies that are obsessed with border security when, you know, they need to be focusing on how migration can also contribute to development in this region. You know, remittances reached record levels in 2017. We're looking at three times more uh, amount. We've got $466 billion, to be precise of remittances uh, across the world in 2017, three times more than development aid. And we've got $22 billion in Nigeria alone. So, you know, this is really important money that can go towards uh, development in the region. But, you know, the Sahel, actually, the whole of sub-Saharan Africa remains the most expensive place to send money to. You know, the average cost is 9.4%. So, the EU should also be putting its efforts not only on building border security, but also trying to, you know, target its development aid so it can contribute to alleviating these costs. So how do we see the, the migration um, situation playing out in the, in the kind of longer term in these countries? Um, presumably, there's more and more pressure on uh, from European countries to externalise uh, the borders to to find ways of both processing claims outside of the European space, but then also to encourage um, countries to to to, to take um, uh, uh, people who are denied uh, asylum um, back. Um, how do the two of you see that affecting the relationship with with the Sahel in the future? Well, I think, uh, I think on the one hand, it creates a, a bit of a perverse incentive because uh, while I don't think regional governments want to encourage instability, not at all, uh, the source of EU involvement or one of the main sources of EU involvement is instability. So there is, there is an interest in at least maintaining this, this idea of instability. And some of it's quite real, particularly on the, on the security front. Uh, then on the other hand, there's a there's another risk that seems to already be playing out, which is that uh, after the crackdown in northern Niger on migrant smugglers, there were a number of promises made by the EU uh, to fund economic reinsertion initiatives, to basically give support for other economic or other business endeavors that really hasn't gone through. 
Very few of these projects have been approved, and a lot of people are just waiting. And so what started happening, or at least there's a concern among, among leaders in northern Niger, that this, this failure to act would lead young men to essentially take up other criminal enterprises, uh, either smuggling other things like drugs or weapons, or uh, turning to banditry, which has certainly happened already. And there's been uh, a sort of anecdotal increase in banditry against gold miners, for instance, in northern Niger and in, in southern Algeria. Uh, and so this is one impact. And then another impact, of course, if we're looking at uh, the policies of funding militias, is that there is an incentive to not fully uh, crack down on any of this so as to maintain pressure on the EU uh, and EU member states states uh, to keep paying militias for their services. And that could continue for quite some time. And Shoshana, what do you think, because, you know, we've been talking a lot about the migration. We started out with the security um, uh, picture and, and obviously France, uh, but not only France, Germany as well, have been quite active um, in a lot of the, the, the G5 Sahel countries. What is the relationship between the, the kind of security, the radicalization that Andrew was talking about at the beginning and, and migration? Um, yeah, I mean, these countries have been, uh, you know, Germany and France have been, you know, the, all of the money that they're pumping into the, this region is very much security focused. So about building up borders, you know, a lot of money that is going under, that falls under development aid is about counter radicalization. Um, and, you know, so basically it's this dominant security approach that has kind of penetrated uh, all kind of migration management and development aid. And, you know, it, to some extent it can be legitimate for the European uh, Union to, to select, you know, which kind of migrants can reach the European Union or not to have a choice in that matter. But one of the unintended consequences or perhaps intended consequences of these policies is also to stop refugees, you know, potential refugees from reaching the European Union. And, you know, the asylum is is in the constitutions of European Union member states. You know, this is something that that the European Union has a legal obligation for. So I think it's very dangerous, you know, making these cooperation initiatives uh, with countries in the Sahel and beyond, and beyond to kind of block refugees. Andrew, you've been kind of thinking a lot about the, the EU's comprehensive approach, which you were talking about at the beginning of the, the discussion. What changes do you think... Um, the EU should make? And, and do you agree with Shoshana that it has been too securitized? Well, I absolutely agree that it's been too securitized. And this is a very complicated thing because obviously there are real security problems in the region. Uh, insecurity has been growing in Mali. It's uh, the security situation in northern Burkina Faso and eastern Burkina Faso has been getting much worse. Uh, the border that Niger shares with these countries has been very complicated and difficult to manage. So these are real security problems. Um, but the the EU has been so heavily focused on security and securitization of migration uh, and also all of these other political problems in the region uh, that it's drowning out some of these other major issues, and one of them being uh, development assistance. Now, one of the things I talk about in the paper is that the EU puts a lot of emphasis on an integrated security and development approach, and, and governance kind of falls under the development heading. 
Uh, but one of the problems with this approach is that while the EU talks quite a bit about innovation and taking innovative approaches to these problems, the actual policies that they've pursued have been quite standard, like very standard development projects um, and things that are not particularly well integrated, even with uh, the security agenda that the EU has outlined. Uh, and so there's, this is where the, the Alliance pour le Sand comes in, uh, which was meant to sort of take up the development aspects that the G5 was supposed to embody, because the G5 was meant to pursue security and development together. Uh, it's on the crest of the G5, security and development. And uh, the EU and international partners, uh, UNDP and the World Bank and others, have sort of taken on that development mantle under the, the alliance for the Sahel. Uh, but what it's really been is a kind of clearinghouse for programs. And as I said, these very traditional uh, development programs, whether related to decentralization or educational funding, uh, water, all that, and these are all very important things. But what's fallen by the wayside, and what I talk about a, a fair bit in the, in the paper, is the need to directly emphasize governance and governmental reform, uh, not only on things on technical things like decentralization, but actually putting pressure on regional governments to follow through on their promises. One, uh, one example of this being an actual enforcement of the, uh, of the Mali uh, Peace and Reconciliation Accords that were signed in Algiers in 2015. Uh, and so this is where, even though security is very important, obviously, security really continues to take the, the forefront and to take on the bulk of the emphasis. And then where development is concerned, it remains very standard or a very standard approach to development aid, which uh, most studies have shown have not really worked in Africa over the last several decades. Okay, so we covered quite a lot of ground. Uh, it's been a slightly meandering uh, discussion, which I think reflects the complexity of the region and also the number of different issues which are at stake for, for Europeans here. And um, I'm sure that we'll come back to this because it is uh, such a central topic in the, the future of European politics, where externalization is not just something which uh, is dominating our relations with, with Mali and Niger and other uh, countries in the Sahel, but is in fact the central issue in politics in Bavaria, in Berlin, uh, and in many uh, other European countries that are uh, fighting uh, elections in the next period of time. And I th I'm sure it will be a, a big theme in the European elections as well. Um, we have one thing left to do in the podcast, which is our bookshelf segment. Um, Shoshana, what's on your bookshelf at the moment? On my bookshelf is The Good Immigrant by Nikesh Shukla. And I think this is very pertinent for this discussion because this book really questions, you know, the migration threat. How is migration being constructed as a threat? And coming back to what Andrew was saying, you know, there are real security issues in the Sahel, you know, but should we really be considering migration as a security issue? Okay, what about you, Andrew? Well, I'm reading uh, Gregory Mann's From Empires to NGOs, which is a, a book that looks at decolonization in the Sahel and the ways in which sort of newly independent states, particularly Mali and Niger, uh, handed over governing responsibilities to NGOs who were working on development issues. 
and how these uh, European and American NGOs were very happy to take that responsibility away from the state, but also the impact that it's had in the long term that I think we're still seeing today. Okay, and I'm going to do some uh, ECFR log rolling and recommend Halting Ambition, EU Migration and Security Policy in the Sahel by Andrew Lebovich. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do let other people know about it on social media, but also uh, please head to your um, iTunes page and leave us a review and a rating um, there or on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast on. Um, If you have any comments on this podcast or on other ones or would like to make a bookshelf recommendation, you can write to me at mark.leonard.ecfr.eu. We will put links up to all the publications that we mentioned on our website at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. But for now, from Shoshana Fine, Andrew Lebovich and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Jonathan Hakenbrosch and our editor is Katarina Butel-Azzinaro. <laughs>